This Tridio production is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and made possible by you, our listener. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit tridio.com slash donate. Hello and welcome to the first episode of a brand new series on tridio.com, How to Live Like a Hobbit. I'm Father Roderick, your host, and I'm in the middle of a forest. I'm surrounded by pine trees. The sun is still pretty low because it's uh, 11 o'clock. The skies are blue. I hear birds. I smell the scent of the woods. And, well, it's 11 o'clock, so it's time for 11 seas. I have a cookie. And I'm going to drink something. Because I want to live like a hobbit. Ever since I read The Hobbit as a child... There was something magical about the life in the Shire, as Tolkien described it. It um, is a desire to live that simple life, close to nature, focused on moments of peace and calm, but also moments of friendship and festivities, good food, and nothing to worry about. That feeling that the life in the Shire is a life that, in my dreams, I would live forever only became stronger when I visited the movie set in New Zealand on a northern island in a small town called Matamata. This is where Peter Jackson built Hobbiton in in the middle of the fields or a number of hills. There was a small pond. It was a big tree. And when he saw that, he's like, this is where I'm going to create Hobbiton. And that's what he did. They built these movie sets, and you've seen them in The Lord of the Rings, and they remade them even better for the movie The Hobbit. And now that these movies have been filmed, you can actually visit those places because they uh, created real Hobbit holes, the bridges, the mill, the Green Dragon Inn. It's all there. And it has been built so that even after the filming, this would be a place for fans of the world of Tolkien and of the movies where they could go and immerse themselves in the Hobbit life. And I visited twice, once after the filming of The Lord of the Rings, and they were already planting trees and flowers. I remember apple trees that were very tiny, even though they knew that filming would only take place years from then, but they wanted the Shire to feel real. Nothing, you know, plastic. It had to be a place that that was truly as close as you could get to, you know, Middle Earth in, in this world. And I remember the second time that I visited, um, the weather was much colder, the weather predictions were pretty bad, and so we almost had the entire place to ourselves. And I was walking alongside the, the hobbit holes, and every door had a different color, and there would be flowers in the gardens. Um, and if you followed a small track up the hill, you would pass by the big green door that we know so well from the movies. And the illusion was complete. Um, the only sounds that I could hear were the sounds of, of, the, of the sheep in the valley. You'd hear the, the birds. There was a slight drizzle starting of, of rain. And I, I really thought that if I would knock on that door that Bilbo would open and would invite me to have a cup of tea and share Eleven Seas with him. With cookies and cake, of course. 
And when we continued um, the track, started to rain, and then in the distance, in the on the opposite opposite uh, part of the of the village uh, near the the pond, you could see the big uh, green dragon inn. And the lights were on on the inside, and it looked so inviting. There was a little bit of smoke coming from the chimney. And I remember with the cold rain, we were rushing to get inside the, the Green Dragon Inn. And the moment we opened the door, you were welcomed by this, the warmth of a real fireplace. And there were real wooden logs, and this was not a um, like an artificial fire uh, with LED lights. It was a real fire. And there was the innkeeper, uh, it was behind the counter, and there were uh, a couple of barrels behind him with Hobbiton Ale, a beer that they brewed specifically for that location. And it was so funny that um, a few moments later, I was sitting in this big red armchair, I think it was red leather, (laughs) more... Um, this is something that reminds me that I'm not in Middle Earth because that was a bike <laughs> passing by here in the Netherlands. Um, I was sitting in that armchair and on the little table next to, on my right, I had a warm pie, a, f- a real pie. And I had a pint of like a, a big um, jug of, of brown ale, Hobbit ale. And, and, and I felt the heat coming from the fire. And I remember distinctly telling myself at that moment I could stay here forever if I could live here for the rest of my life you know I would be so content and happy (laughs) and that is I think the core reason why the life of a hobbit appeals to me it's not just living close to nature, not having these nice environments and beautiful hobbit holes. It's not just the parties around the party tree, not even the good food, but it is this sense of contentment, which I think is the characteristics, char- characteristic of, of hobbits in the Shire. Um, definitely when we first meet Bilbo, that is also the reason why he shuns adventures. He doesn't want to go on an adventure. And most of his fellow hobbits also don't like wizards because they, well, they disturb this life. They threaten this feeling of everything is okay. There, there, you know, in, in Hobbiton, there are no prisons. There is no bad behavior. There is no traffic other than, you know, some horse or some ponies and carriages. There is no technology except for a windmill, perhaps, and uh, there, there is there is nothing that that threatens this. At least, so, so it seems. And so, everyone in the Shire likes to keep it that way. And so, in a way, a Tolkien describes the Shire and Hobbiton as a utopia. It's something that he himself felt very much attracted to. He loved the English countryside and uh, the landscapes that he describes were the landscapes where he'd love to be. Even the lifestyle of hobbits, even though Tolkien himself, uh, I think if you would ask him which, which uh, creatures he, he admired the most, he would say elves because of their, perhaps their spirituality, their higher values, uh, their broader view of the world. But, but he, he also 
says many times in his letters that he himself is more like a hobbit. And uh, uh, I, I might talk a, bit, a little bit more about that in future episodes, but uh, in many ways, Bilbo is Tolkien, and he himself loved this quiet life. And there would, would be nothing better for him than just sit and tell these stories and and smoke a pipe and um, have a good meal together with his friends. And um, in many ways, he also knew, just like I think Bilbo and Frodo and the other hobbits will discover in the story, that this utopia is not something that will always stay there. It's something that you need to protect, something that is threatened from outside. And uh, the call to adventure, when Gandalf knocks on Bilbo's door and later on when he meets Frodo, is this call to step out of that utopia, not because it's bad and, you know, but because it's, you know, there's more out there and you should not try to cocoon, but it is because, specifically because the life in the Shire is so ideal, but it's also fragile, that it needs to be defended, it needs to be protected. And so, in order to do that, you have to sometimes leave that place, fight the good fight, and then return and appreciate the Shire even more. And I think both Bilbo and Frodo, later on, uh, have that experience, that when they return to the Shire, they have changed. They have stories to tell. And they appreciate the peace and quiet, the simple life of the Shire even more. But it, 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 um, it needs to be protected. And so I think that is very much applicable to our own life as well. Um, the fact that I'm walking around here in, in this forest and uh, I'm having... A, a moment, uh, a break with uh, a chocolate chip cookie, which, by the way, is delicious. I'm almost sad that I can't make any tea here in the forest. <laughs> that would make it even more ideal. But the fact that I'm sharing with you my thoughts on how to live like a hobbit is precisely because it's a lifestyle that I aspire to because my life is also threatened by stress, by noise, by aggression, by anger, by too much work, other people's expectations, a lot of things that Bilbo would try to avoid as much as possible in his life when, when he is, you know, organizing a party and he hears that there are some family members that are coming to visit that he dislikes so much he tries to hide from them. He always tries to escape from anything that is too stressful. And so when the dwarves enter his house, he is disturbed. He's like, this is too much. I, I want to be generous. I want to invite them. That's what any good hobbit would do. But this is threatening the peace and quiet of my life. And I think that because of our modern-day lifestyle... There is this deep longing, at, at least that's what I feel, for this simple life in the Shire. And when I sit there at the fire, it's nice, in Bilbo's armchair, it's like, I, w I wish I could live like a hobbit for the rest of my life. I wish I could be this content, this happy. But I also knew that I had to go back to my real life. And the big question that I want to ask myself 
in this short series about how to live like a hobbit is how can I, despite the stress and the noise and the workload uh, that surrounds me on a day-to-day basis, how can I still be content? How can I approach this sense of happiness instead of chasing after everything and things never being enough? That, That is kind of why... Um, the stories of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings tell us about the dragon and about Sauron. Those are um, the evildoers in the story and I think that what unites them, what, what, what they have in common is this sense that it's all about greed. It's all about having more gold and uh, using violence to to keep their possessions. It's always about more power um, and, uh, you know, keeping everyone away from you uh, because you don't want to share. That's, that's another thing. Uh, I think it's uh, Gandalf that tells Sauron, and there's only one master of the ring, and he doesn't share power. Um, so it's, uh, those are the, the quintessential egotistical uh, creatures uh, that will never be happy, even if they have all the riches in the world. What they won't have is this sense of contentment that hobbits have at the start of the story, which is their treasure, and which ultimately will be also the remedy against the greed and the violence of the dragon and and Sauron. It's this selflessness, this sense of, you know, you become happier if you can share a good meal and just sit on a bench overlooking the Shire, uh, smoking your your nice uh, aromatic tobacco, reading a book, um, listening to the the music in the valley of the festivities below around the the party tree. That is the life that is worth living. That is the life that we should strive for. So, I'm almost done with my cookie. Let's try to become a little bit more specific. What can you do literally to make your life more like the life of a hobbit? Well, since we're at it, let's talk about eleven seas and about food. You know from the story that hobbits like to break up their day in various moments where they will eat something. But it's not just about the food. It's also this sense that we are not made for just working. This is very apparent, I think, in The Lord of the Rings, when the hobbits are following Strider, who they met in in Bree. And even though they are in a perilous situation, they still stop to prepare some food. And Strider's like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I think it's Pippin who says, what about second breakfast, you know? It's time to eat. It's this common sense that we cannot be on our toes all the time. We need breaks. And another aspect, I think, of food in Middle-earth is that it's never just for you. It's oftentimes food that is shared with others. Think of that brilliant scene at the start of, uh, of The Hobbit where uh, Bilbo is having cake. I think he's eating cake in the, in the book. When the, when the dwarves knock on his door in the movie... He has just prepared fish and he's eating that in his kitchen alone. And that's when 
the dwarves knock on his door and he is forced to share that. And it's part of the Hobbit lifestyle that if friends knock on your door, in this case, not yet friends, they're strangers, <laughs> and... Well, Bilbo is a bit perturbed by that. You know, I don't mind visit visitors, and I don't mind to share with them, but I'd rather know them beforehand. <laughs> but anyway, that's what he does. He shares his food. And so the meals in, in Middle-earth, especially the meals of the hobbits, are meals that are often shared in, in company. And so there are two takeaways from that. The first one is those breaks. Um, I think... There's a lot of wisdom in having these breaks and taking time to eat. Uh, how many of us eat at their desk? Only take like uh, 15 minutes. To, some people will skip breakfast and they will rush out the door because, well, life is calling and I have to work. But even science, even research has shown that people who don't take breaks are less effective, less concentrated during the day, and less productive than people who do take breaks. And that's a very interesting finding, I think, which tells me that Tolkien was a wise man. He knew that um, since hobbits and, and humans are related somewhere in the, in the distance, um, just like hobbits, men need breaks, need some time to, uh, to eat and to share, to, have, to share moments of friendship. And, um, well, let's go over this... Uh, this, this regimen of the meals of a hobbit, it starts at 7 o'clock with breakfast. And I think that's another thing that I like. Start a day early. I apologize. <laughs> Probably hobbits would not. This is more dwarvish behavior, I think. Speaking while you're eating. Mm. These cookies, though, are so good. Mm. Anyway, um, start at 7 o'clock with breakfast. Start a day early. Um, what I love to do during the weekend is not sleep in like a lot of people, but on Saturday morning, I love to, to wake up early to go out for a walk. And I start my day as early as possible. 7 o'clock sometimes even six o'clock, just have uh, a light lunch and then head, head out the door and go for a walk. Because if I wake up really early, I don't feel like I'm wasting my time. It's, it's, uh, the, the, there is something that is still um, unchallenged in the morning. It feels like time that I can spend on things like a walk in the woods, what I'm doing right now. And the other thing is the the mornings are beautiful. I mean, I'm looking at this path here and there's there are, uh, pine trees on my left, all sorts of other trees on my right. There's a big white tree here. The light is shining through the, the those, those leaves. Some of the leaves are already starting to turn yellow because autumn is just around the corner. So it, there is something about the morning, even the birds that you hear right now, are birds that you hear only in the morning and in the afternoon it's it's different the world is different so take advantage do like hobbits do wake up early have breakfast at seven and then go out for an adventure even if it's only for an hour um, but do something that you would normally not do 
during your work week. Then at nine, second breakfast. I think that, you know, second breakfast with sausages or or roasted rabbit, that wouldn't be my thing. But what you could do at nine is to eat a piece of fruit, uh, a banana, an apple, an orange. Again, take 10 minutes, 15 minutes to sit down and have some fruit. Why not? It's healthy. We always forget to eat our fruit, and I think it could be perfect for a second breakfast. Then at 11, 11 seas, that's what I just did. Very Dutch custom as well. Perhaps there were some hobbits in, in Holland in the past, uh, because at 11, or well, around 10 or 11, the Dutch will always interrupt their work. They'll get together. And I say always, most of us will do that. And we'll have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. And not just coffee and tea, which is also kind of a staple thing of uh, the, the uh, uh, Hobbit day. I remember the dwarves, um, at least in the book, uh, asking Bilbo for, for coffee. And, um, but it's also coffee with cake. And Bilbo uh, tells us that he's been baking cakes, not just one, but also a second one, and perhaps even a third one, because you never know who might visit. And that comes in handy, of course, when he is, uh, he is um, surprised by the, the dwarven uh, company of Thorin Oakenshield. Um, so when you take a cup of tea, take a cup of coffee, make it special by adding a cookie. And don't eat the entire pile of cookies, because some people will get panic about that. Oh, I can't eat that. That's, a, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. But one cookie, you know, if you go out for a walk... You'll, you'll burn it off. And there is something about making that moment of tea and coffee special. Mm. Then, a, a bit later than some people, at one o'clock in the afternoon, it's time for luncheon. So lunchtime. I prefer a light lunch, some bread. Um, perhaps sometimes I'll make an omelette. Um, not too heavy, because otherwise I'll fall asleep afterwards. And then at four... It's time for afternoon tea. This is definitely a habit that I'm starting to learn. I, I was a, more of a tea drinker in the morning. But I love to have my cup of tea at 4 o'clock. I've even gotten myself some English tea. Um, real good quality tea, not the kind of over-processed bargain tea where they add all sorts of artificial flavors. But, you know, real good quality tea. And again, of course, that requires also a cookie or a piece of cake or uh, perhaps even apple pie. And (laughs) I love the fact that Bilbo is baking that himself. He doesn't go to the bakery to get it. Um, And it's something that if I have a lot of time, which I don't always have, um, it's, it's still something magical to bake your own cake. And having prepared it and the smell in the kitchen, there is something that is very much like the Shire. It's, it's baking stuff feels like something that any hobbit does from time to time. So why not? You know, to just see it as a hobby. <laughs> just bake something from time to time. And at six o'clock, pretty early in the evening, for hobbits it's dinner time, and then at eight they'll have supper. Of two more moments. And in a way, you could also do that. Um, here in Holland, people love to eat very early in the evening, sometimes even 5.30. They'll have dinner and then 
eight o'clock, you know, they'll break out the, the Gouda cheese and they'll have uh, some cheese and some uh, uh, crackers and a glass of wine or something like that. You could also turn that around. In Italy, what's the other way around? You would have an early uh, glass of wine or something like that or a, a, a beer and some peanuts and then they would eat much later at eight o'clock they'll have a nice meal and one of the recommendations that i would give families is make sure you eat together ideally if the kids have time if you have time cook together um, take some time to prepare food together and then take some time to eat i know in a lot of families it's uh, kids and parents nowadays eat separate separately um, Oftentimes, it's food that they either ordered or they put it in a microwave. Uh, we've, we've lost that art that we see in, in Hobbiton um, as an example, I think. It's just take some time to prepare real food, not just over-processed stuff. But try to eat simple, but eat, cook it yourself and try out some recipes and be adventurous. That would be... Uh, totally something I think we can emulate and in many ways I'm already living those those meals when you read about it in the book like seven meals a day even the 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 company of the hobbits is like isn't that a bit much but if I look at my own breaks during the day I have those seven moments and I appreciate them and they make me more effective so that's uh, that's about food um some some stuff that you might want to have in your pantry. Um, pies, cake, preferably self-made. Tea, coffee, of course, good coffee. Ale, beer, if you like beer. Or otherwise, a, a nice glass of red wine, just like Gandalf asks for. He's not much of a beer drinker, apparently. Um, cheeses. Oh, gosh. Well, there I have, of course, the huge advantage of living in Europe not so far from from France, and we've got these amazing cheeses, you know, in different, and we love our cheese, not just Dutch cheese, but all sorts of cheeses. If you go to a regular supermarket here, you will find so many kinds of cheeses, and that's actually my favorite snack. I've had a time where I would eat, always eat um, potato chips and a lot of that very unhealthy, um, over-processed stuff. And I've switched completely to just crackers with a bit of cheese. And it's so good. And the thing with, with our processed snacks is it's made to, you know, for us to, to just binge on that and empty an entire uh, bag of chips. And we're not really tasting. We're just gobbling it up. But that's not eating the Hobbit way. A Hobbit appreciates his food. And so crackers with cheese have done that and you you start to taste again so i would recommend that try cheese another aspect of the hobbit life which i think we could emulate is uh their love of laughter jest and games and celebrations don't forget to play i'm i'm amazed to see how many of wow look at that i'm in this open patch open patch in the woods and there are all these insects flying around with blue wings and it's 
I think it's a bit too late for for um, uh, butterflies, but there are lots of other brightly colored insects flying around here in this patch of sunshine. Um, I think I've, I'm totally lost, by the way. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm heading, but I have time. So um, as long as I don't uh, end up in the misty mountains, I think I'll make it back in time. And there is something cool about just following your nose, as they say in Holland. <laughs> just go on an adventure. Um, so don't forget to celebrate so many of the people that surround me are always working. They never make time to play. And um, that definitely has been uh, something that I've experienced as well. It was this idea that even on Sundays I was always catching up on work, trying to get to inbox zero, and and every time I would take some time to play a video game, I would still think, yeah, I can't re- I don't have time for this. But reserving time for play, for games, for celebrations, is uh, again, it, it it will change you. It will help you to open up to other things than just work. It's uh, an exercise, I think, almost in, in, in freedom. It's, it's sacrificing time that you might have been productive, but, you know, what good is productivity if it has no goal, if there's no true meaning to it, um, and trade it in for play. Because life is about more than duty. It's about more, about more than, than just productivity, things that are measurable in money or output and and play in a way that's what kids do that's what you did when you were a child and when you thought that life would basically never end and there were not that many worries but play is a time where you can forget about your worries um i'll give you an example of something that i've recently discovered and that is board games that you play with other people um games where you have to learn of course a few rules and then there are a myriad of of games often based on stories Uh, they will either play in medieval times or in fantasy worlds or in haunted castles and at first i i really didn't want to get into that because i thought it's going to take so much time like one board game will easily take two or three hours that's time that I don't have, or that I thought I didn't have. And then I ultimately, you know, was, was kind of lured into that. And uh, I was invited in a group of people that played these board games. And from day one, I was sold. I was like, this is so much fun. You, you, you're there with complete strangers. I knew one, one or two of those people, but a lot of the other people were still strangers to me. But the fact that you play together gives you a common experience. And so there's immediate conversation and you make friends so quickly with these board games. And I think that is probably also one of the reasons that we love to have celebrations and party. Um, it's, it's because it gives us an occasion to meet where, you know, we would never get in contact with those people in our day-to-day lives because they, well, they have other work or they live elsewhere and there wouldn't be a reason to start a conversation. But when you're at the same party and, you know, over a, a good pint or a, a nice barbecue, you can 
get to know each other in a very natural way. Now, I think this even is true for more introverted people, because you might think that every hobbit is super extroverted and loves to hang out with other people. And I would say, if I look at myself, I'm more of an introverted person. It's probably also one of the reasons that I at first didn't fancy those board games, because those are social games where, you know, you have to be with other people that you don't know. And I felt a bit like Bilbo, you know, I don't like I don't mind hanging out with friends, on the contrary, but I'd rather know them first, you know? I don't like to venture into a situation with total strangers. Um, but the, those those board games did help to get to know these people. Um, but the, the uh, celebrating life, taking time for festivities, that's even something you can do when you're introverted. It's making other people's lives special remembering someone's birthday, um, giving gifts, uh, spending time and perhaps even money and resources on your friends. I'm always uh, kind of the the money-saving kind of guy. I love to uh, be... I'm very kind of prudent with the way I spend my money, but I have one big exception. If If I have friends or family that visit me, I will not look at the costs. I have a budget specifically for that so that I can treat them well and I can pay for their food and I can, I have stuff to serve them. It's this hospitality, I think, that is very strong with Bilbo. Um, and, and it's something that I love to do for my friends. Um, not to mention that if you take care of other people and you're serving food, uh, if you're a little bit more introverted, that's actually a nice, safe place to be from time to time. You don't have to immediately you know, be in all sorts of awkward conversational situations. Um, but you can just hang out with people and still, you know, do your own thing. So, be hospitable. Uh, share those festivities. Make other people's lives special. Don't treat every day the same, but celebrate the moments that can be celebrated. Um, And then, love of peace and quiet. This is um, just one of those iconic images in the movies, but also one of the treasured moments in uh, in the books, is when Bilbo and Gandalf are just sitting, overlooking the Shire, the valley, and smoking their pipes, and telling each other stories, or just sitting there, quietly, and, you know, there is, there is this peace, the same peace that I can feel right now here in the middle of the forest. The only thing I hear is the rustling of the leaves and some birds, and it's super quiet. And it's almost a shame that I'm recording this episode, because this is one of those moments where I could just sit, my back against a tree, uh, drink some water and take in this peace and quiet. It's also something that we absolutely need in our lives, and we have it uh, not often enough. That is why I think in a Catholic tradition, prayer is, is also so important. It's not just about the liturgical celebrations in church where you have to listen, or you have to sing, or you have to say things, but, but prayer, personal prayer... It's something very simple. It can be as simple as just being there. 
you don't have to say much. It's like, you know, people that love each other and have known each other for a long time, you don't always have to talk. Sometimes you can, you can feel that bond just by sitting together, walking together silently. And those moments of peace and quiet, if you have a stressful life, it's something that you can crave desperately. How do I find that peace and quiet? Here's what I did a while ago. I had a tendency because I have one room where I work, where I have my computer, um, where I record stuff and edit stuff, to always sit at my desk. But it's a big room, and I just finished another uh, reading of, of The Hobbit, and I was thinking, you know what I would like to have? I would love to have a rocking chair. Uh, I have a lot of books. I don't take much time to read, um, and if I'm reading, it's always kind of browsing through websites or social media, and that's not really reading. That's just browsing information, and it's an accumulation of facts and information, but it doesn't lead to wisdom. Sometimes you just need to take some extended time to read. And I think one of the reasons that I don't read or didn't read that often was I didn't have a comfortable place to read. I was at my desk. There was the kitchen, but I, you're not going to read a book at the kitchen table. Um, there was the couch, but the couch is, you know, in front of the TV. So there's this temptation of watching TV instead of reading. So I was like, I'm going to get myself a rocking chair. And that's what I did. I got a simple, dark brown wooden rocking chair, and um, and it's been amazing. It's been really fantastic. Uh, it's the place where, when I've, especially on a Sunday, for instance, which is a day that I try to make much more quiet than other days, I can just sit there, take a book, and read for an hour, two hours. I might fetch myself a cup of tea. And it's bliss. It's pure bliss. And even though I, it takes me a long time to read books because, well, I only have a few of those hours every week, it's still those moments are becoming part of the fabric of your life. And it, 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 it counteracts the negative effects of stress and worry. And it gives you some time. Reading is also, just like life in the Shire in general, something you need to protect from you know, aggression. <laughs> so turn off your phone. Uh, don't have notifications on your, on your mobile devices. Don't even ha have those mobile devices anywhere near your rocking chair and just have two moments of completely protected, fenced off, quiet reading. I think that's as close as I can get to the peace and quiet in the Shire because, well, I'm not a, a pipe smoker. I am even allergic to smoke. So that's something of the Hobbit lifestyle that I won't emulate. But I think that, that you know, those moments of enjoying their, um, the, 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 the pipe weed and everything is basically, is a, it's a, it stands for those moments of not being productive and just taking in the, the peace and quiet, the calm, the taste of the tobacco or the taste of a good cup of tea. It's, it's being in that moment and taking time for that, reserving time during your busy weeks to have some of that, you know, some, some of that peace in your life as well.
Um, let's see what else. Of course, one of the most beautiful things if you visit the Hobbiton set in Matamata is nature. It's the beauty of nature. It's uh, in the middle of the fields and the, the only thing you can see in the distance are uh, green hills, some trees, um, sheep, and even the, the hobbit holes themselves are so kind of integrated into the landscape. Um, it's, this is something that a lot of us don't have in their lives. Some of you might be lucky and live in beautiful villages or even on the countryside, um, but uh, most, well, many of us live in cities or in um, uh, neighborhoods that are, you know, filled with traffic and buildings and shopping malls and uh, billboards. And there is not much nature anywhere near where we live. I would say go and search for it. Take time. Again, make this an appointment. This could be perfect for Saturday mornings or Sunday afternoons. Take some time and find the nearest forest or walking field or whatever and go out there and walk. I've, I've been a runner for many years and I love to run because it's another uh, way for me to get out of the door. But I've recently discovered what I'm doing today, which is walking. And it's very different from running. It's much less focused on on speed, on uh, um, physical activity. I mean, it can be quite physical walking, especially if you do longer distances. But what really strikes me most with walking is this, this slow speed helps you to take in nature uh, so much more. Like right, right now, I'm just standing still. On my left is a field with heather, some grass, in the distance some trees on my right you've got birch trees beautiful white birch trees and what you hear is the rustling of the leaves if i were running or biking i would not have time to take that in but with walking i can just stop and breathe and look at this and these images stay with me for the rest of the day and sometimes even the rest of the week and it's it's it has enhanced my life uh, in in ways that I did not expect at all. Actually, it's so beautiful that I sometimes take a picture. Now that would be not the Hobbit thing to do, because Hobbits don't have much technology in their life. <laughs> and sometimes that would be also a good aspect of walking and getting out in nature. It's leaving those screens behind, having a few hours each week with no technology, with no social media, with no distractions. Because sometimes we feel like we're married to that stuff and we're not, and we should not. And the same with, you know, the warnings that we get from sleep experts that tell you not to look at screens before you go to bed because, well, you will not sleep as well because of the, the light of those, of those uh, mobile devices. So anyway, I would highly recommend, um, you know, making contact with nature and don't treat it as something that is um, non-essential as if it's just a waste of time the moments like these mornings like th- I have a lot of work 
Um, I've been working very hard this past week. I know that I have a, a huge amount of work to do next week. I could already work a lot today so that I don't have to work as hard next week. And yet, I deliberately decided to take this time to go out for a walk in this beautiful landscape. And I'm now approaching a, a much bigger area with heather. And it's gorgeous and I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. This is just so precious. So take that time to feel like a hobbit. And nature is never too far away. Sometimes you have to drive a little bit or, or, or bike, depending on where you live. Even if it's just a park, if you live in New York City and you go to Central Park, but it's still, it's still nature and it's still kind of like adding something to your life that is supposed to be part of it. Um, let's see, we're almost there for this episode. Um, the Oh, another thing that is typical for hobbits is that they love to dress in bright colors. And this is something that was actually also um, a characteristic of Tolkien. On, on gloomy days, he'd love to wear these bright colors, like yellow and green and red. And I think even the kind of clothes that you see Bilbo wear... It's very similar to what Tolkien wore in his time. And if you see those old photos of him, you almost see like a, a big version of Bilbo. And uh, the, uh, the takeaway from that is color your life, color your house. Um, when I came to live in, uh, in the city of Amersfoort, which is north of this beautiful nature uh, reserve, um, I had to buy new furniture because I didn't have any permanent furniture the first few years I had secondhand stuff that I did away with when I studied in Rome so I had to choose what kind of furniture will I pick and I wanted something that looked uh, as if it could belong in a hobbit hole so I went for dark brown wooden furniture nice uh, a bit classic stuff and timeless definitely timeless and uh, in order to bring color in my uh, living room, for instance, I picked you know, those beautiful, dark, wine-red curtains. So it's a huge splash of, of, of color in, and a nice contrast with the rest. But you could also do this on your computer screen. Instead of looking at a boring desktop full of litter, digital litter, you could also display... For years, I've had a huge photo of the Hobbiton movie set on my desktop. So the moment I would fire up the computer, I would be greeted with this photo of, of one of the most beautiful places on Earth. And it changed your my mood. But I also, this is a hack that you can do. If you don't have uh, the occasion or the time to go outside and you still want to feel a little bit that atmosphere of the forest, there are these apps that are made for, you know, it's like white noise apps. If people live in noisy environments and there's a lot of noise during the night. You can uh, uh, use those apps to create background noise. And oftentimes those apps will also have loops with nature sounds like chirping birds or a forest or um, uh, streaming water or anything. Well, here's a tip. You could, if you have a moment, for instance, you want to go read a book and you want to feel like you're in Hobbiton, uh, connect that audio to your speakers and play, I don't know, forest sounds in the background. 
and then start reading your book, it will give you a different feeling. It, it will create another atmosphere. And again, the research has shown that a bit of that background noise will actually help you focus better. It will help you concentrate. Just like white noise, it kind of drowns out the other sounds. And so your mind doesn't have to, is not alerted. They, they go on standby in a way. And so you can focus on the book that you're reading or the tea that you're sipping. <laughs> um, let's see, what else have I got? So this is all, these are all tips that will help um, create simplicity and beauty and moments of shared joy with other people. And those are the things that we're made to. Uh, what we're made for, I think, to experience. We are not made for a life full of stress. Um, we are not made for um, for extended noise and constant strive and, and worries. We know, we all know, that this lingering that we have for life like the life that you see depicted in the Shire, which is almost a utopian lifestyle, of course... But it translates, I think, a deep, deep desire that I believe is a desire that God put in us of a life that could be eternal, of happiness, of being content. And there's no other way to reach it than to do the opposite of what the dragon and Sauron are doing and stop the rat race for more, for faster, for for more power and gold and possessions and and do the opposite. Simplify. Make contact with the beautiful things that surround you. Embellish your life and the life of those that live around you. That will bring you the sense of contentment, which is what you feel in the Shire. What I long for, what we all long for. And I think with a bit of effort, we can already experience that a little bit more in our day-to-day -day lives. So that is my first episode about how to live like a hobbit. Just some random thoughts and I sure, I'm sure that you could add to that. So if you have any tips on how to live like a hobbit or how to create your own hobbit hole, how to cook like a hobbit, I'd love to hear from you. You can of course always react in the comments on um, social media and you can find the show notes on uh, tridio.com that's t-r-i-d-e-o.com thank you for listening next time in episode two we will talk about adventure and what to do when in the middle of your easy simple content life there's a wizard knocking on your door passing by and looking for someone to go on an adventure and what do you do and how to have adventures in your own life. Some more thoughts about The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and about our life in not Middle Earth, but in the middle of this Earth. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and see you soon. Take care.